0: Good morning, brothers and sisters and friends who are here for the first time. Warm welcome. Good morning. Uh, those online, platinum and here, I just want to say this is my... Last Sunday was my first anniversary at Fellowship. One year. Where did that go? Thank you. If you booed, that would have been a little bit awkward. So thank you very much for applauding. But more importantly, let's thank God for his goodness. Father in heaven, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to the rulers of this land, who have allowed, not only who have taken care of their own people, the Emirati people, but have opened their arms to 200 other nations, uh, nations uh, that include our nations, Father, but also the freedom that they have shown us by gathering in your name here in, this ho- in these hotels that we meet in as fellowship. We thank you for that. I thank you, Father, for the wonderful staff that uh, you have given me the privilege to work with, and I thank you, Father, for your body of Christ here at Fellowship, my brothers and sisters, who have uh, who have welcomed me and Sandy and have really made it such a delight that we could be together as family, uh, journeying together in this walk with Christ. And We pray all this in Jesus' wonderful name, Amen. Now you may be wondering why did I put a children's video on uh, to start this passage, uh, this talk, and it's it's simply because it kind of got to the heart of one thing. That Genesis one's creation story is so profound, and so profoundly simple, that it has an economy of words that it says so much in so little, word, so few words. Uh, it is a genius of a chapter that lays a foundation. Many struggle with um, uh, making sense of this world that we're a part of. Questions like, "How did I get here? Why am I here?" Where will I end up? These are the questions that torment so many, that if God is good, for example, why is there suffering? And so we wrestle with those questions. It's like we were born into a movie and we're halfway through the movie, but we don't know how it started nor how it's going to end and we struggle. That's why, in a sense, to answer these questions, you have to rewind the movie and go back to Genesis 1. Back then, before there was Adam and atoms, and asteroids and angels when there was no space no time when the eternal god who existed outside of time for the first time created time the word genesis means origins or beginnings and so we start a series genesis 1 to 12 and it'll take us to the beginning the beginning of humanity the beginning of the universe The beginning of marriage and work and meaning and purpose and sex and gender and every important category and equality that we take for granted is actually grounded in these chapters. Genesis 1 is going to tell us about our glorious God. It's going to tell us about our wonderful world and our place in it. Uh, But before we continue, I just want to draw your attention to two resources. Number one, we've got a podcast running through this series and so uh, we'll be interviewing different people. Uh, or pastors interviewing each other, just to explore further what we can only do in a limited time in a message. But the second thing is, if you could get out your phones right now, can you do me a favor, get out your phones and take a photo of that uh, QR code because there's a reading guide, a Bible reading guide. We'd love you to journey together in as we not only read parts of Genesis but parts of other scriptures that actually tie in with that theme. So if I can encourage you to do that, that would be excellent. So let's go to the beginning. Genesis 1.1. In fact, let us I'll give you time to take that photo. Good. Why don't we say together Genesis 1.1. This is how the most popular book in the world starts. The best-selling book is the Bible, as you know. And the opening sentence reads together, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. One God. Before it's about us, it's about him. He becomes the main character of every page in the Bible. In the beginning, God. Uh, Unlike, say, the movie Thor, where you've got the Viking God hanging with other gods and fighting each other. Uh, There's only, you know, the God of the Bible, hero Israel, the God, hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. He is God, there is no other. He is God, there is none like him. He stands in a class of his own. He will not share his glory with another. In the beginning, God. Notice no proof given. It's just assumed. Why? Because the fingerprints of God are all over this creation. What well, may be known about God is clearly seen from creation. Well, that's what God said. So that people are without excuse. In the beginning, God created. And he created out of nothing. The fancy word is ex nihilo. You know, when, uh, when a carpenter builds a, a chair... He starts off with timber and, um, and uh, nails and glue and then makes the chair. But when God creates, he creates out of nothing. It's not something making something else. It's out of nothing that he creates. You know, there, in the beginning, it's telling us there is a starting point to the universe. It, it's ironic that the, you know the Big Bang Theory, I don't mean the TV show, I mean that theory that explains, that says that for various reasons that the that the um, that the universe is expanding from a singular point uh, dated about 13.7, 13.8 billion years ago, and what that theory did interestingly, especially in the 50s and 60s, is force science to admit to something that the Bible had always been teaching, and what's that? That there was an absolute beginning to the universe. Prior to that, science thought that matter always existed. The Bible never thought that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well that's a summary term. That pretty much means everything, right? So that the God of Israel is not, the God, is not simply the, the God of Israel, is not just the God of Israel. He's not even the God of this earth or this galaxy. He's the God of everything, the universe known and unknown, including angels and angels who have rebelled, called demons. God creates, and he creates how by the power of His word, God talks and the universe comes into being. Repeat after me. And God said? And it was and God said, and God said. Oh, sorry. I, I think what I meant to say is finish the sentence. <laughs> Let's start that again. And God said, And God said, Hey, there you go. Thank you. Sorry about that. <laughs> God had a hundred percent success rate, six times that is mentioned in Genesis 1. God speaks, everything happens. You and I speak, and we can't even get our kids to bed by 7.30. Very different. And like father, like son. You know, you see the Lord Jesus caught in a storm in a boat. He's asleep. They wake him up. Don't you care? He's sort of half awake, half asleep, tells the wind and the waves to be still. And immediately they collapse into ideal lake conditions. I was reading the story to my kids when they were young. And, uh, and I said, you know, there was a storm outside while I was reading the story. The wind was blowing. The rain was falling. I said, let's try it ourselves. See if we can do it. So I took him out to the front porch, and I said, on the count of three, let's tell the wind and the rain to be quiet. One, two, three. Wind and rain, be quiet. Then the wind kept blowing and the rain kept falling. And I said, and that's the difference between Jesus and us. He speaks, and every time, every time, it happens. So in charge, God's powerful word. And notice how effortlessly God creates there's no strain, there's no sweat, there's no fighting, there's no... I mean, very different from the, the Babylonian creation story, for example, Enuma Elish, and there were many of them around. Uh, very different. You have the gods always fighting amongst each other, and then uh, one god kills another god, slices the god in two. Upper part of the god, god becomes the heavens, lower part becomes the earth. think, oh my goodness, so much effort. Not so with God. Let there be light, and the universe is unleashed with life so in charge, so sovereign, so powerful, so good. God's word never, ever returns empty. Always does the job God assigns for it. And God made the same point while Israel was in exile. Isaiah 55, 11, for example, says, this is God speaking, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. But will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And by the way, that's as true when you speak God's good news to other people. That God's word is as powerful when it leaves your mouth as it reaches into the hearts of people. And those who accept the message are basically saved and become new creations. Sometimes, of course, that message in that moment can harden the heart. But have no doubt, God is at work every time his word goes out. In fact, the only thing that seems to oppose God is us. We're the only ones who say, oh, I wish I was never born. We're the only ones who swap the truth of God for a lie and end up worshipping the creation rather than the creator. It's only us who live our lives without thanksgiving and praise to the God of the universe. The rest of the creation is doing it all by itself. To get a sense of how powerful God's word is, let's appreciate the size of the universe. If you're, you know, we know light travels at 186,000 miles per second. I mean, that's a lot faster than those Maseratis driving on and Lamborghinis driving on Sheikh Zayed Road at 2 in the morning. They're fast, but they ain't that fast. So that's how fast light travels, which means in one second, light will travel equivalent to seven times around the earth. That means in two seconds, light will travel from the earth to the moon, which shows you the distance between the earth and the moon. What we told in 4.3 light years, light will finally get to the nearest star. Doesn't that tell you it's a long way away? Remember, it's travelling at 186,000 miles per second, and it's going to take 4.3 light years to get to the next star. 100,000 light years just across this galaxy to get from one end to the other. Two million light years to get to the next galaxy, 20,000 light years. Million, sorry 20 million light years to reach the next cluster of galaxies and in case you're wondering how many galaxies there are there a 100 million they're not even 100 billion there are 100 trillion galaxies in the universe that's one big universe amen and all created by the power of God's word clearly the universe is too big for us humans right now, we have pride of place in the universe, but it's, but it's bigger. And I'll tell you what that is telling you, if nothing else, that God's glory is evident in the sheer vastness and the size of the universe. You know, you've seen, you know, Dubai bling, right? A nip here, a tuck there, and a bit of Botox. <laughs> Dubai bling. Well, in a sense, the universe is God's bling. If you've got it, flaunt it. And he is flaunting his glory for all to see. And the more those, those telescopes open up the universe, the more we are in awe of the God that we worship. So are you having... And by the way, you know, I love the way the Bible says those 100 trillion galaxies are in the palm of God's hand. Now, are you having problems trusting God? Um, I was talking to someone who said to me that they're afraid of opening the Bible because they're afraid of giving God control control what you can't even keep yourself alive you've got no control it's very wise to attach yourself to the one who has amen and what i love is and and you know even jesus says it so beautifully not even a sparrow will fall to the ground apart from the will of my father in heaven and the god that we worship who created the vastness of the universe is Father, Son, and Spirit. You actually see hints of the Trinity there. Do you notice that? that? That in this chapter, you've got God the Father who creates through his word, his Son, by his Spirit who hovers over the deep. So in Genesis 1.26, for example, listen to the way in which God speaks in the plural, the we instead of the me. He says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So what we're told is God who is more than one person, Father, Son, and Spirit, is making us who are more than one gender, man and woman, male and female. God who is more than one person is making us into more than one gender, male and female. So Jesus is not simply plan B downloaded to deal with a problem of sin that God didn't see coming. You know, oh my goodness, they've rebelled against me. What am I going to do? I'll pull out Jesus uh, to solve the problem. That the Creator was always the Savior. As Melito said in the second century, He who hung the earth in its place hung there on the cross. That the hands that, you know, threw stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. Our creator is our saviour and our saviour is our creator. And what I love is the way in which God so creates the world with purpose and order. By the way, that's why science can work because it is an ordered universe. It moves, creation tells of how it's God is moving the world from chaos to order. Look at uh, verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And so what is dark becomes light, what is empty becomes full. And God is dividing and defining space and time and species. Um, He creates the space and he fills it. You can see that in in the pattern. Uh, You'll see in day one, for example, God separates day from night. Then on day four, he locates the sun, the moon and the stars within that. In day two, he separates the sky above from the sea below. And then he fills the sky on day five with birds and the fish uh, he locates in the sea. On day three, he separates the sea from the land. Then on day six, he places animals, then humans, in that land. Now, God is telling the story from our perspective. We're clearly not told everything. I mean, there are basically about a and. Sorry, 813 words in Genesis 1 in the English translation. That's not a lot of words. My iPhone instruction manual has 73,000 words to it. And that's only just an iPhone. But there you see the beauty of our creation, God's creation. Now we know Christians have different views on the how question. It's only that question. You know, some believe in an old earth, some believe in a young earth, some believe in a literal six days, others believe in acts and ages of creation. Some believe that God used evolution. But what every Christian must believe is that every species was created by the direct hand of God. And of that, there can be no debate. Sir Fred Hoyle, English astronomer, came up with the term Big Bang, used to be an atheist, but then realised The idea that the origin of life is by chance is what? Absurd. It's crazy. It's too complex for it to just have been randomly generated. That the amazing secular order, cellular order of the natural universe had to be the outcome of an external intelligent design. That's a fancy way of saying God. God is so in control in Genesis 1. He alone commands he speaks, he names, he creates, he separates, he blesses. The sea, the moon, the stars. You know, for many ancient religions, they were all gods, right? Always to be worshipped, always to be feared. But in Genesis 1, they're just moon, stars and, um, and planets. They're just kind of created and told to do their job <laughs> by day and by night. It's interesting, you know, after all the scientific revolution, you still have people believing in horoscopes and uh, believing that somehow when you're born and the order of the planets is going to determine your destiny. The fact that you can have identical twins born in the same moment, you know, pretty much, and ending up with two different lifestyle choices and the outcomes and destinies, you might have thought that might have been a good argument against horoscopes. But what I loved is I remember hearing this German editor and uh, he was waiting for the horoscopes to come in and they had to go to print. Uh, uh, for the newspaper. And they, so he thought, what am I going to do? I'll just write my own, you know, Sagittarius, Taurus. Did I write his own? And he was just so afraid he was going to be found out. No one noticed. So he said, why am I paying money to someone to write horoscopes? I'll write my own. And that's as, that's as useful as they are. Just made up. <laughs> just made up. They have no authority. You know, it's interesting... Um, It's not the order of the planets, it's the God who created the planets that controls our destiny. That's why when Christianity shapes a culture, what happens is two things happen. Science begins because you're no longer afraid to do science anymore because that tree doesn't have a spirit in it, it's just a tree. The other thing is fears go away. You're no longer living in fear. Why? Because there is one God who is in control of all of creation. And if he's for you and not against you, you're now free to examine the world, to rule it and to manage it. So here's a little exercise. I won't get you to put up your hand. But if you're afraid of the dark and like to leave the light on with the door open, why not tonight close the door and switch the light off as an expression of trust? That God is in control. Ooh. <laughs> there is only one God, friends. He alone is to be worshipped. He alone is to be feared. But what blows me away is the creativity of God. He's so creatively wise. Uh, look at Genesis one twenty-two. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the Fill the water in the sea, sorry and fill the, the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth So God blesses the species and there's so much the sky the the land the seas teeming with life. God what I love is firstly he blesses them by giving the ability to, for them to be fruitful then he commands them to be fruitful as we just read out and the blessing is is that the God who is the life giver, uh, is calling forth more life. For example, did you know how many bird species there are? There are actually 10,000 different species of birds, more or less. That's not including the ones that have become extinct. Uh, I got to know the world of birds because my son is a bird watcher and uh, he, he's now ticked off 500 birds that he's identified, 500 different species, which makes him a twitcher. Um, that's a fancy term for people who get to that point. So 10,000 species of birds. Okay, that's amazing. But moths, uh, sorry, um, um, butterflies, you know how many butterfly species there are? 17,500 species of Beautiful butterflies. What a creative God. But that's, that's nothing. Moths. Moths. Okay, someone tell me how many moths there are. Species. Ah, yeah. I would have thought six. 160,000 different species. And remember, they can't interbreed. A hundred. I would have thought 200 would have been plenty. <laughs> You know, once in a while, if I want to escape somewhere, I go to the Atlantis and go into, the, watch the aquarium in there, have a cup of coffee, and I just praise God because of the sheer diversity. It's my it's my solace, uh, uh, my fortress of solace. I love it. Because I can't get over the fact that God makes so many different kinds of species. Um, and it reflects his creative wisdom and glory. Look what, let's say together... What God says in Psalm 104 24, what David says together. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. I wonder if this time you would, this week you could take time to just watch that bird, see that plant, and ponder and to see that God is rejoicing over that bird. And that plant that he had made that betrays his wisdom. You know, when you watch an animal documentary, a David Attenborough, you know, Blue Planet or whatever it is, there's always one going. I wonder if you could just stop for a moment and just praise him for his creatively wise world that he has made. Amazing. And yet, who has pride of place in all of creation? You. Genesis one twenty-six. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. You don't have to be born in Buckingham Palace to be royalty. I know King Charles got coronated uh, uh, last week, but I'm staring in the presence of kings and queens of being made in the image of God. Authorized by God to rule the world under him. It is an extraordinary honor to be made into God's image and likeness. The rest of creation is not that. Just you, you alone. Remember, God could have made you into a cockroach, but he made you. <laughs> Always think of the alternative. We alone get to rule this world. We alone get to bear his image. The only thing, you know this, the only thing God allows to represent him on earth is you. That's why he's so offended by images and idols because they're deaf, dumb and blind and they dishonor him. But you are living, speaking, thinking, being. You are made in his image. And every time you live in obedience to God, you reflect his image all the more. The evolutionary worldview has stolen our uniqueness. It just shoves us with the rest of creation. And we are part of creation, of course. But we're given that privilege of ruling over creation under God. And you know, that's why we're equal. That verse I just read out is the only place you'll, you'll find that declares the equality of humans, and it was said at the very beginning, between men and women. Because understand... It was actually the Bible that spoke against the idea that women came from the animal world. Like that was the standard view. But here from the very beginning, God makes it very clear. Male, female, both made in the image of God. Every nation made in the image of God. Everyone who is human is accorded the rights. Now don't take the... See, the world loves to talk about tolerance and equality. Well, where did they get it from? They got it from here. I'll give you an example. Yuval Harari, who is a, uh, an atheist writer, he wrote a book called Sapiens. He says this He says, The idea that all humans are equal is also a myth. The Americans, because in their constitution they write, you know, we, we believe these self truths to be self evident, these truths to be self evident, that all people are created equal. Um, it says, The Americans got the idea of equality from who? From Christianity which argues that every person has a divinely created soul and that all souls are equal before God. Evolution is based on difference, not on equality. So every time someone talks to you about the equality of humans, Jesus, you know where you get that from? The only place you're going to find that is actually in Genesis 1.26. Creation. Oh, so, so good. You know, Six times we're told in Genesis 1, and it was good, and it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. And then when he makes humans, it's very good. Oh, oh, I like what I see. It's like God is the artist who stands back and says, (laughs) just how I like it. creation man it's filled with so many blessings you feel like you're at a wedding party where you're just constantly being spoiled and it's interesting that when the apostle Paul has to deal with false teachers who speak about marriage and sex and foods being unclean he says oh no no and he takes him back to Genesis 1 and listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 4 the apostle Paul says for everything God created is Good, nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated, set apart by the word of God in prayer. Now that doesn't mean you can go around smoking dope. It's not that marijuana wasn't created for you to smoke. That wasn't its purpose. I thought I'd just check you on that. Now, do you really believe that all things were created good? Yes? Okay, try this quick quiz. Which is the odd one out? I want you to talk to the person next to you. Which is the one that shouldn't that doesn't fit? Sex, wine, sin, God. Which is the odd one out? Talk to the person next to you. Anyway. (laughs) Sex, wine, sin, God. Which is the odd one out? Answer? Sin. Very good. Someone said sin. That's the odd one out. People often say God. Sex is good. It's the first command in the Bible go forth and multiply. Wine is good. Go and read Psalm 104. Yes. <laughs> in moderation. <laughs> to be enjoyed on God's terms. Or as Paul says, received with the wor- by the word of God and prayer. I thought I'd just throw that in, but yes, it is. I mean, Jesus produced 600 liters of the best at the wedding of Cana. Sex is good. Wine is good. God is always good. Sin is bad. I love what C.S. Lewis said. Check this out. He said, well, there's no use trying to be more spiritual than God. And that's what religion always tries to do. It always tries to be more spiritual than God. I know some muddle-headed Christians have talked as if Christianity taught that sex or the body or pleasure were bad in themselves, but they were wrong. Christianity is almost the only one of the great religions which thoroughly approves of the body, which believes that matter, stuff, is good, that God himself once took on a human body, Jesus, and that some kind of body is going to be given to us even in heaven, and it's going to be an essential part of our happiness, our beauty, and our energy. Don't you love that? That God created a good world. Now, C.S. Lewis said, you know, we're going to have a body for heaven, but our final destination isn't heaven. Our final destination, as we'll see, is the new heavens and the new earth. You know, this, this week of creation is just filled with God being so good, issuing blessing after blessing, till finally you get to the seventh and last day, a day where God rests and by implication invites us to enter into his rest, where we get to enjoy his goodness for his glory and our good, a day that was never supposed to end. Have you noticed that? In chapter 2, there was evening, there was morning, the seventh day. That's not how it's said, just the seventh day. There was no mention of evening and morning. It was as though it was left open, a day for us to enjoy. And what I love is God is so committing to doing us good that, that he will get the world that he had planned for. That sure, two chapters later when we're in the garden with Adam and Eve, and they lead the rest of us into sin and with that death and suffering. And we now live in a world that is part glory, part ruin. That creation is described as groaning, as in the pains of jailbirth. That intrinsic within creation now is not what was there in Genesis 1. In creation now, what we've got is uh, a creation that is groaning because it is enslaved to death and decay. And it's everywhere. Death and decay is normal now. And so it's crying out for something more, like a a child to be born and finally release. And yes, the final destination isn't heaven. It's actually the new heavens and the new earth. Let me read to you a selection from Genesis, Revelation 21. Because the Bible starts in Genesis 1, but it ends 66 books later. And the last two chapters speak about the new heaven and the new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God is dwelling. God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. We had to rewind, you know, to the question, if God is good, why is there suffering? You have to first rewind the movie to the beginning. Then you've got to fast forward the movie to the end and discover that God's going to get that new heavens and the new earth that he promised you. You know, soon after my wife and I were married, a friend of hers, a friend of Sandy, her name was Lorraine, had tragically died in a car accident. It was a Thursday night. And we discovered that on the Monday before that, she was studying Genesis 1 in her Bible study group, a bit like many 242 groups are doing right now. And apparently in that group, she was quoted to have said these words, and we heard them in the funeral. And this is what Lorraine said. Remember, this is three days before, four days before she died. She said, if God went to all the trouble of making this wonderful world, which he knew he would have to destroy because of sin and death, imagine what the next one will be like. Little did she know that within the week she'll be in there, in that new heavens and that new earth, seeing God face to face. You know, the world tells us that you come from nothing, you end up as nothing, you are nothing that right and wrong, good and bad, don't exist. They're just like blue and green, just personal preferences. But this is a lie, and it comes from the father of lies. And more than anything is, God wants us, sorry, Satan wants us to not enjoy and praise God for his grace. Did you notice that God's grace is all over creation? The act of creation itself from nothing... We were created out of nothing, is itself God's undeserved love. And then on top of that, God's grace in positioning us humans as made in his image, even more grace. And then, and then locating us in a world filled with so much blessing, so much life, That was the grace of God. And then more than that, that even though we had sinned and brought death and suffering into this world, God didn't give up on us. But then the promise of a new heaven and new earth, where there'll be no more crying or grief or pain and no more death. And then the ultimate grace, where God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him may not perish, but have everlasting life. The grace of raising us, with resurrected bodies fit for a new heaven and a new earth where well, there will be no more death and suffering. Doesn't it blow you away to think that the, that the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom and for whom the universe was created, allowed himself to be crucified by men whom he had created on a tree that he had made? Why? So that you could rise from the dead and live in that wonderful creation. Praising God for the rest of your eternity. What a good God. Now, if that's not a reason to praise God, I don't know what is. So it seems to me we ought to be joining the angels in heaven right now and saying together these words from Revelation 4 verse 11. Will you join me in praising our God? But will you do it slowly, thoughtfully and from the heart together? You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have there be. Let's pray. And let me use the words of our next song to pray out this message. O God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time, with no point of reference. You spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've made. Every burning star, a signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praises. So will I. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. And all the saints said, amen Amen indeed. Let's stand and praise our awesome God.